0: compliance the practice of obeying rules or requests made by people in authority
1: this is the pharmacy compliance guide with jeff hedges
0: pharmacy podcast network welcome back to another episode of the pharmacy compliance guide you know every fall we hear the PBM sending out requests for attitations for fraud, waste, and abuse, and HIPAA compliance. Why do they all keep asking for the same information? You know, when Medicare Part D came into plan, the pharmacy benefit managers were given the regulatory authority to manage the Medicare Part D program. Part of this program was ensuring pharmacies were properly trained, training their staff and had that proper training. It initially started with annual fraud and waste abuse training, OIG exclusion verifications, and HIPAA compliance training. Then, each fall, everyone had to attest they accomplished this requirement for Medicare Part D, and unfortunately, a lot of pharmacies and organizations signed off of the attitations and really didn't do it very well. And Todd, uh,
1: that was uh, that was became an issue. Assessations is a legal statement where the individual, or the pharmacy owner, and or the pharmacist in charge, was legally attesting that they were accomplishing the training, and had no documentation to support their claim. Legally, this was a false claim under the medical uh, Medicare Part D. Uh, requirements, and the PBM can and did go back and recoup the Part D reimbursements from the pharmacy, which was devastating. The PBM then uh, added additional requirements over the years, using this as uh, their justification, making them stricter and more overbearing, uh, most especially when it came to the OIG exclusion verification requirements. Only in pharmacy and pharmacy alone, and healthcare, uh, does the pharmacy have to do a monthly OIG exclusion verification? Everybody else only has to do it once a year. This started with, and this already started with just one database, the, o, uh, the Office of Inspector General. Then it was added uh, to the General Services Administration, or GSA, and then the Systems for Awards and Management, or SAM. The GSA and SAM uh, were, have been publicly merged into one database. And as of today, we are still here, my company, receiving databases from each of those uh, organizations. In addition, additional states are still de- are developing their own exclusion lists. And now we are supposed to still check them as well. What's challenging, there's no standards for these lists. And some of these are managed by the health departments within the state. Others are with the attorney generals. And still others are managed by the treasury department within the state. So
0: Jeff, just hold on a second. So let's break these requirements down Uh, what is involved with the fraud, waste, and abuse requirements besides the OIG exclusion? Well, fraud, waste, and abuse really is not hard to comply with.
1: It is having established policies and procedures and training. However, when someone gets in trouble with the government with stealing money through claims or misleading patients, it's the fraud, waste, and abuse processes that are used to use the federal penalties where they come at and they apply to uh, the actors. There are 10 basic policies and procedures from the fraud, waste, abuse uh, prevention, anti-kickback rules, conflict of interest, false claims, whistleblower protection, and general compliance. When you look at these policies and procedures, They're mostly common sense. Bill for what you dispense and treat patients like they're your own family. There are several methods of training, and and this is what everybody's looking at. Now, CMS has uh, training modules, and like all things created by the government and their lawyers, it is complicated. To use these training modules, and the PBMs are leaning on it, and when they send out, uh, their stations and credentialing, they want to see uh, and they allude to using the CMS training modules. And with these modules, each employee at each pharmacy logs into the CMS training system. They establish their own unique username and password. Then they embark on a one hour online training session. And then they have online tests along the way. When the employee has completed all the training, he or she will have a CMS training certificate for fraud, waste, and abuse general, with general compliance. However, there's several problems with this training. First, uh, who has a time and the computer space to have each one of your employees to spend one hour going through this training program. I mean, most pharmacies only have two or three computers, and to tie that up, it's very impractical. Second, in the federal statute, Title 42 CFR 422.504 B4, Roman numeral 4, and the Medicare Prescription Drug Benefit Manual, Chapter 9, you are required to train on the pharmacy's policies and procedures. Well, the CMS module doesn't meet that requirement. They train on the law, not your policies and procedures. And finally, there's no federal mandate to require a test. The other item is we cover the OIG, uh, the OIG GSA exclusion verification above. However, most people have the opinion the OIG exclusion uh, check is only for your employees. <clears throat> that is also not correct. The statute specifically states any individual or entity that has been convicted
0: Wait, Jeff, I've never heard of this before. I mean, what is an entity? Well, the best definition I've been
1: able to define is uh, any HIPAA business associate, any vendor that you purchase a product from, and then you dispense that product to a Medicare or Medicaid patient, any 1099 employee part-time employees, or contractors. All of these people fall under that entity requirement. So the question is, are you verifying these entities? And you should, because now CVS Caremark, on their on-site inspections, they're actually checking this. And if you're not doing it, well, they're asking questions, but why not? So, And a lot of different entities, or organizations that have different compliance programs, they're not asking for this, and they're not looking for this.
0: It's very clearly stated in the fraud, waste, and abuse statutes. So, Jeff, what is the HIPAA requirement? You, you, you said that a couple times, and as, a, as you're talking, I'm thinking, what is it? What is the HIPAA requirement?
1: Well, HIPAA's been around since 2003, so it's an old statute now. And we had a podcast earlier this year on HIPAA breaches and desk audits. If you haven't listened to that podcast, it's quite important, especially with the desk audits and on-site inspections are going on. So I'm not going to cover that today. However, HIPAA requires all healthcare providers and all business associates to have a HIPAA privacy and security policy and procedures. They also require annual training on these policies and procedures, similar like what we just talked about on fraud, waste, and abuse, on how HIPAA relates to your operations. Our listeners will primarily need training on interactions with your patients and the patient's requests and handling protected health information that uh, most importantly is what occurs when breaches occur. And again, the most three most important types of breaches that I see in a pharmacy is, one, when your uh, clerks and techs give the wrong medication to the wrong patient and it leaves your property. Two, when your delivery vehicle is stolen. And three, when there is a robbery or burglary in your pharmacy and they take out either your server or your will call bit. Those are all the most common breaches and you need to be aware how to handle them. You never want to cover them up.
0: So Jeff, I remember the podcast on HIPAA breaches. It was actually called HIPAA Breaches and Desk Audits. It was episode 399 and I'm going to post that link so that if listeners haven't heard that podcast, which was really valuable, I'm going to put it in the show notes of today's podcast. So in that show, you know, that was one of the one the most informative podcasts that I've ever listened to that we ever had for, through the Pharmacy Compliance Guide. And if you don't do anything when they occur, it could lead to millions in fines. So... I understand there was a new requirement added to this uh attestations. So can you kind of go through that?
1: Yes, there was a new requirement that came out this year. Uh It's called cultural awareness training. This originally was part of the Affordable Care Act and uh, was supposed to go into effect last year. But the f- uh, federal court struck it down in November 2016. But then we had our PBMs. Uh, Humana and CVS Caremark, they uh, brought it back to life. And this training uh, is to ensure that the pharmacy and the staff understand the culture of your patients and the language skills if they can't uh, speak English. The biggest concern with this added requirement for computer uh, community independent pharmacies is that we all live in our communities, We know our communities. If there is a second or third language in our neighborhood, we hire staff to speak these languages. We understand our local customs and cultures. Why would we ever offend your patients? Who would uh, then, uh, if you offend them, they are going to go to your competitor? So you you would never offend your patients. Yep. Okay. Only the people inside the Washington Beltway or in an insurance company boardroom would come up with a crazy idea like this. But you, in an independent pharmacy environment, with extraordinarily uh, competitive, would never do anything like that. I mean, and it's just crazy with the way this rule came out and when you listen to any of the trainings that the PBMs come out and you listen to some of this stuff, you wonder what world are they living in because they sure aren't living at the, uh, at the local level because it's just never would happen.
0: Yeah, big, uh, big government intelligence never ceases to amaze me, Jeff. So uh, so let's, let's talk about credentialing. What is it and why do we have to deal with it? Because it sounds complicated.
1: It really is not, but credentialing is simply the validation of the attestations. Test testations. Uh, these normally come out uh, starting in the late January, and it's um, the excuse for the PBMs to, va- uh, to see proof. Uh, they want to make sure uh, that your ass testation test is correct. Uh, so most of these are completed online or by fax. However, CBS Caremark and OptumRx are doing on-site inspections. Each PBM has their own list of items uh, that they send in or provide uh, an on-site auditor to come in. These consist normally of um, the Fraud, Waste, and Abuse training certificate or log. Now, when they ask for this, a lot of times they allude They want your staff's information. I always recommend only sending the pharmacist in charge, not the entire staff. They also want your HIPAA training certificate or training log. Again, I recommend only sending the pharmacist in charge. They will ask for specific operational uh, pharmacy policies and procedures, and they all ask for different ones return to stock, usual and customary, um, recall procedures. There's, um, when you put all the PBMs together, there's about 25 to four, uh, 35 policies and procedures combined that they're asking for. So the days of not having a pharmacy compliance policy and procedure manual uh, is pretty much gone. So you need to have that. If you don't, You need to look at either developing one or talking to someone who has that. They want your pharmacy licenses. They want your pharmacist in charge license. They'll ask for miscellaneous requests, and they're all over the charts, what they're asking for. They'll look at your requests for, uh, uh, they're also coming in, and they're doing an audit on your prescriptions. And, And all in the effort, to validate
0: the attestations that were submitted in the fall, Jeff. Does anyone look at these documents? I mean, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like we're doing a lot of work, and I'm just wondering: Do you think anybody actually looks at these?
1: Well, that's a very good question. There are twenty-six thousand plus independent pharmacies submitting all this document. Just imagine the volume of documents. It's huge. The service size to store this data year after year will be in the terabytes. But I don't know who uh, who, uh, who gets this information. I've tried to find out. Uh, but they do do random checks. I know that. But where the repositories are with CVS Caremark, Humana, Optum, I haven't been able to find those uh, departments within those organizations but they do random checks.
0: Yeah, I'm a pharmacy owner. I'm listening to this show, and it's like, all right, so if I don't do this type of documentation, I don't have this information available, are there going to be any penalties?
1: Yes. If you falsely uh, do an assestation, the pharmacy is in jeopardy of losing all Part D reimbursements for the period or the year in question. Plus, the pharmacy is in breach of contract and will be dropped from the contract. And it really can't get much worse than that.
0: Okay, what is this NCPDP credentialing about in August? I've I've heard about this, I didn't understand it, and I knew you were going to be the best person to ask about it. So what is the NCPDP credentialing?
1: This has been on my radar. I met with NCPDP in 2016 about this project and then again at NCPA in Orlando this year. NCPDP has developed this platform to help pharmacies report only one time, rather multiple times, to all the PBMs and everybody else uh, each year. This is a good concept, but there are challenges and concerns. First, the development was with chain pharmacies only, and no independents were involved. The reason was NCPDP had this massive test poll uh, with the same organizations: Walgreens, Rite Aid, and CVS. It was logical from their perspective because there are more; uh, they could work with a large group and only talk to three organizations. And there are a lot more independents out there, and. They all talk different languages, and they all do everything different, and that's why we have independence. They're all different, different test pools and different processes. The program works with the PBMs, but it doesn't talk to the PSAOs, and they're still requesting the same information. So even though you're reporting to uh, NCPDP in August, all your PSAOs are still requesting the same information, and they can't get the information from NCPDP. They are looking at marrying up, but there's a lot of negotiations going on, and to my knowledge, as of this date, no one has actually signed up for this. Now, my major concern with NCPDP is they're sharing this information they're collecting with different organizations, they are updating your MPI information. Okay, that's a pretty good idea. So you don't have to worry about going in and updating your information to MPI. And a lot of folks forget about this, and they don't do that. So it's good. But they're also sending the information to the National Supplier Clearinghouse. And this is my main concern. If the data you're submitting to NCPDP differs from your CMS-855S Medicare enrollment application. NSC's normal process is it will generate an error in their system. That error will cause the system to deactivate the pharmacy's PTAN number. Now, if you catch it right away, the pharmacy can reactivate the p10 and there's no issue however if the pharmacy doesn't catch it right away mainly because they're not reconciling the reimbursements on a weekly basis and the p uh, and the p, p10 is deactivated for a period of time say uh, greater than 45 days the pharmacy must go through the full reactivation process from scratch oh my lord which means you're going to which means you're going to have an on-site inspection. You're going to go through the whole nine yards. It's going to take about 60 days um, to get everything back online. And they'll retroactive your P10 back to the date that it was deactivated. However, if the pharmacy had an exempt status for their uh, accreditation and, uh, and their uh, providing the DME POS products, they lose their exemption status. This has happened, I've already seen this happen. And what happens at this point, they have to go start at square one, and they have to go through the five years of accreditation to get their, uh, apply for their exemption status again. And and it's devastating, it's very expensive, especially if you're only doing small items. And it's very hard to justify the expense right now. And when I talked to everybody about this, everybody said we never knew this could happen. We never thought this could happen. And this can happen. And one the case that I, the first case that I saw this happen, was from a, a changing their hours of operation through the NCPDP's credentialing site and the P10 number was de- uh, deactivated, and the pharmacy was not reconciling their, uh, their EOBs, and they didn't catch that they weren't being reimbursed. And that was an extremely costly error because they then had to go back and start their accreditation process because their DME pro- program was very, very profitable to them, and they had to go
0: back. Jeff, this sounds like a nightmare podcast uh, scenario. <laughs> how, how in the world can we prevent this from happening?
1: Okay, first off, don't just give the uh, attestations stations and credentialing documents to anyone in your staff. Okay, you got to give it to one person. Okay, and that person needs to complete all these documents the same way every time. Keep copies uh, for yourself and they have to be consistent. And always know what your CMS 855S Medicare enrollment application states. Have a copy of that. When you make a change to the NCPDP website, make sure you print that out and then make sure it matches your CMS 855S application. If it doesn't, submit an amended 855S application. It's not the whole application, it's just the documents that need to be, uh, the pages that need to be changed, and the instructions are on the 855S and assign section 15. It's not that hard, it only takes a couple minutes, but you have to be consistent with everything, all the way through, Every time, and you just can't say, uh, Hey, Mary, do this for the first time, and Hey, Jane, do this the next time. These are not, these are critical documents, and you got to take time no matter how busy you are. And it's not that hard,
0: but you got to be consistent. Jeff, is there anything else? the pharmacy owners listening to the show need to be aware of for for credentialing?
1: Yes. There's one more important item. Okay. Last year they started asking for the, uh, through the credentialing, they started asking for continuous quality improvement certificates. These are required for Medicare part D. And it's going to be, uh, we can look forward to 2018. These are going to be more important through the, Um, credentialing documents. Every pharmacy is required to have a continuous quality improvement or CQI program. A CQI certificate is generated by an organization who is certifying that the pharmacy has a CQI program. Now, this is normally through a patient safety organization. Now, we talked last month our last podcast about a patient safety organization and our guest was the Alliance for Patient Medication Safety. We can see that the PBMs are looking at CQI certificates more closely and for my clients uh, make sure you continue to uh, work through the PQC plus software within our portal Uh, and make sure your entries are done so you can pull that CQI certificate when the requests start in January and February. If you're not my client, okay, and I normally don't talk about my own programs during these podcasts, but if you're not sure that you have a CQI program or how to get your CQI certificate, this process is not a week or two quick fix program. This is an ongoing process. There are a number of items that are required to be completed. Listen to the podcast that we did last month on uh, patient safety. There are not a lot of organizations talking about these subjects, especially on CQI programs and certificates. Okay. And again, I keep these podcasts very factually based but on continuing quality improvement programs and certificates and enrollments in patient safety organizations, uh, there's no one talking about this, and you all need to know about this. Okay, and again, this is part of our standard compliance pro- pharmacy compliance program we offer. And to my knowledge, no other consulting firm in the country is offering these services. To my knowledge, no other buying group or pharmacy organization is talking about this, and you need to be aware of this, that when the uh, credentialing comes out in uh, 2018, and uh, Optum, and CVS, and Humana, and everyone else, they're going to be asking for you to submit a CQI certificate. So I'm not uh, telling you to use my services, but you need to check this out. And uh, if you don't have something, look at your pa- patient safety organizations. There's uh, some of them have gone out of business or dropped pharmacies. Uh, others are still out there. Uh, they're working with pharmacies. Um, we work closely with ABPMS. Uh, they are independent pharmacy only, and they work well. So it's a good thing. Uh, they offer a lot more services, but the CQI system is the most important thing you need for, as right now as we're moving into the credentialing season.
0: Jeff, in wrapping up in this conversation, want to let the listeners know I'm going to put in the show notes both podcasts that were referenced today, the HIPAA and desktop audits, as well as the Alliance for Patient Medication Safety we will have those in the show notes. Jeff, you talk about stuff that no one else is addressing that's so important to the stabilization and profitability and success and keep going um, and keep growing our pharmacy businesses because this little nuanced, detailed stuff can hold us up from continuing to accept payment in many sources and really mess some things up with the fines and legal situations. And so we very much appreciate the Pharmacy Compliance Guide Uh, If you're listening to the show and you want information, you want to talk with Jeff and his team, rjhedges.com. That's rjhedges.com. That link will also be in the show notes, but if you're driving, um, just remember that name, RJ Hedges and Associates. Jeff, thanks so much for being um, a voice of intelligence about the business of pharmacy and delivering us another episode of the Pharmacy Compliance Guide.
1: Okay, well, thank you, everybody. And our next podcast will be talking about the certified durable medical equipment specialist certification. And it will be a, a lot more, uh, I guess, lively. And
0: <laughs> Wishing everyone listening in the Pharmacy Podcast Network universe a happy and safe and peaceful holiday and brand new year season. This will be the last podcast uh, for the Pharmacy Compliance Guide in 2017, and we look for a bright uh, future for all independent pharmacy in 2018. And with that, I say thank you so much for listening to the Pharmacy Compliance Guide.